A few times a week I take a trip, grab a fireball for two hours I sip while the Wednesday play some football on my TV. When one Saturday we were playing at Hall, they'd been promoted once but took quite the fall. This really wasn't a match I was excited for. Rhodesy scored his first goal since December. This really wasn't a season to remember. Then something happened that really caught my eye. The ball went out for a corner kick. The focus moved to midfield, thought the cameraman was shit, but to my surprise, he found himself a squirrel. Not sure how we got there, not sure why. The lads were laughing, and the lassies cried, and that squirrel took off, running down the pitch. That boy was fast with no intention to yield. He had way more pace than Jacob Butterfield, and it was way more entertainment than we'd seen all season long. That day, the squirrel went on a run in the KCOM Stadium in that shitty little town we call Hall England. It was a fight for survival with an old promotion rival. Our season was saved and we sang hallelujah. Fifty is nifty here on the Owls Americast, Sheffield Wednesday opinion with an American accent. It's not our fiftieth episode; it's our twenty-seventh episode. Sheffield Wednesday is on fifty points for the season, which is worth celebrating, I guess. And I am celebrating it with Basil Hayden's because I was in New Hampshire this weekend covering some baseball, and usually I bring a flask to warm the body in the hotel room after sitting outside in sub forty wind chills. But I forgot my flask, so I had to go to a New Hampshire State liquor store, purveyor of fine, cheap booze of all stripes, and I decided to pick up a little 375 of Basil Hayden's, because I've never had it before. And it's only 80 proof, I didn't want to do like something super strong at 10 o'clock at night in my hotel room. And it's actually, uh, it's not bad. It's very drinkable. It's got a little bit more rye and the mash bill the most bourbon so it's got a little bit of a little bit of heat to it it's nice not bad at all i am joined by the usual cast of characters first off my co-host in ohio evan skelter evan what are you drinking uh, i'm actually very excited that you've mentioned basil hayden's because i just finished uh during during the pre-recorded interview before the show i just finished a bottle of basil hayden's uh, i didn't drink the whole thing i just finished the bottle i had in my house and um so now i'm on to blanton's which is a buffalo trace uh distillery brand and uh i mean it's it's delicious i figured i'd go with bourbon today to stick with my um, southern theme, as you heard in the the intro. We had to get you to do it because you're the closest thing we have to a southerner on the podcast. <laughs> also with us, drinking his Atkins approved Michelob Ultra is Patty Jones. Actually, Jeff, you say that I've, I've switched onto something a bit more refined. I'm going to try and guess what it is by the tag on the uh, is on it the, Michelob on the Light? Nope, it's uh, you got to guess what it is. Quality uncompromising and unchanging what do you think it is Ooh. Miller High Life 
Yes, from a seasoned Miller High Life drinker, Luke the hipster. In he googled that. He googled. <laughs> no. How many carbohydrates are in that? There is three point five, three point two carbs in this one. Actually, it's three three point less in um, than the Mikulob Ultra I was drinking earlier on today. And I have to say, the uh, weight is falling off me, chaps. I thought Miller High Life was a champagne of beers. Miller High Life is a champagne of beers. Okay. It doesn't say that on the bottle. <laughs> It's it does, you just... <laughs> Are you sure you didn't get knockoff Miller High Life? <laughs> <laughs> Anything's possible for my liquor store. At least it's in date. Also on the it show. Just like water, by the way. It's We're done with your beer, Patty. We're moving on. No, but it's awful. I mean, I could have told you that ahead of time. Also on the show is Luke Andrews Hacken. Luke, what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a Lagunitas Dark Swan Sour Ale, which has written on its label... Observers of yester century denied the existence of the dark swan, insisting the species was confined to a single snowy hue. Explorers eventually contradicted that misconception, astonishing the world and casting light upon the dark. This beer may well do the same. Not as pithy as the Miller Highlight label. Not as pithy. <laughs> as <laughs> as I've got it already. I mean, yeah. we've got branding down to tea. We've got the beer down to tea. Yeah, and... it's it, it's remarkably good, I have to say. And in a walk-in pantry or something. Once again this week, it's James Allen. James, what are you drinking? It's a closet, Jeff. I mean, come on. Uh, don't, 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 don't offend my recording studio. Um, it's a cupboard. It's a cupboard. It's it, it's basically a stand-up cupboard. Yeah, walk-in would be generous. Uh, you can walk in by taking a step in and take a step back out again. Um, but I'm back in my cupboard. Um, I missed the end of last week's pod because my, uh, my three-year-old was having a nightmare. Um, and... Uh, I think it was basically because I made him watch the QPR highlights before he went to bed. So uh, I sat him down and made him watch the whole game before he went to bed tonight. So hopefully I'll make it all the way through the pod. Hopefully I'll make it all the way through as well because I'm taking a bit of a risk. So the last time we had a fruit beer uh, mentioned on the pod was uh, when Paul Owen um, <laughs> had, a, had a dalliance with a uh, with a kind uh, of whip, which was a mango yeah. IPA, which uh, which left him uh, leaving a Mr. Whippy. Uh, most of the pod on the uh, on the can, so I've uh, I've got a two all this week, which is a, a Danish beer, but it's um, it's called Dangerously Close to Stupid Amount of Kiwi, which is a an Imperial IPA with uh, a close to stupid amount of kiwi in it, which is the new addition to their Stupid Hop Adventure series. So either I'm stupid playing with fire, or I'll still be here at the end of the show in my closet. The Jekyll and Hyde season continues, and as mentioned at the outset, we're on fifty points which all but guarantees championship safety for 2018-2019. Hopefully the 151st season will go better than the 150th. We are short one Paul Owen this week, but we replaced him with Paul Allen, our Cincinnati Owl, who we'll talk to in our interview segment. And then we'll hit the usual Wednesday news. And something apparently James with the agenda just says something probably more about sex dungeons. I confess I did edit last week's show, but I basically put some bumpers on it and posted it did not listen to it <laughs> we just more discussions around ohio sex placements hmm. Usual stuff. i don't know i heard something about. i heard something about an air horn oh yeah oh yeah i gotta pull that up that. real quick oh good no we'll start with the whole city review which was a professional job which is more than we can say for this podcast so far much improved performance from qpr hopefully will not give your kid nightmares james well, not based on the highlights. No, the highlights made for good uh, good viewing. I, th- I think it was a professional job. It was, and uh, you, I love the way you, you just phrased that, Jeff. Reading the page, the words right off the agenda page. What a Jekyll and Hyde side we are at the moment, um, because 
for everything that was absolutely god awful about our performance against QPR, we seemed to manage to kind of get ourselves back in uh, back in gear against Hull. Um, went back to the three five two, which I think everybody knew seems to be working for us when we played it. So that probably wasn't too daft. Um, re- returned Jack Hunt to the side at uh, a right wing back, and uh, and he had an absolutely excellent game. Uh, brought Jordan Rhodes back in. Uh, obviously, you know, going into the game, there was you know a little bit of bit of disappointment that our lead marksman Addy Newhu was injured. I mean, that's uh, something we wouldn't have said six months ago, would it? Um, but we brought back that uh, that second-rate striker, Jordan Rhodes, who only cost us eight million quid, and he uh, he had a barnstormer of a game. But I mean, we'll we'll talk about Rhodes in a second. But as a team, it was it was a really solid performance. You know, we we defended stoically. We uh, we were creative. Um, in the midfield, Bannon obviously coming back into the side, having a another good game. Um, created some good chances, scored a good goal, defended it well. Um, saw out a victory, professional job, got us to, uh, to 50 points and uh, kind of job done in many respects. Uh, you know, if, if we kind of go back to January and um, and when we were managerless and, and Jos coming in, um, you know, maybe a really, really optimistic chairman might have challenged him to make the playoffs. But I think every realistic Wednesday night was saying, just keep us safe stop us from free falling out of this division and uh, and we haven't we're uh, we're here we're we're set up for another push next year right so we can uh, we can kick back now roll out our beach towels and uh, and take the summer off right well before we do that it really wasn't pretty yeah it was it wasn't pretty all. i only saw the last half hour because out of pocket new hampshire for most of that morning but it was not the most let's put it this way it looks better on the highlights of the stuff that i saw it felt the a little make it look like a decent game. Yeah, it was, it was a little helter skelter towards the end. You know, they were really kind of lucky to get away with a one nil victory because I I think the Hull City disallowed goal was offside, but there was no reason for it to be offside because the ball was going in the net before the offside player touched it. Just, Jeff, just, you know, I'm just I'm just going to ask a simple question here. Did, did you know, could, could we maybe strike a slightly more upbeat tone on things? I mean, we're safe. We are. I mean, I think we were safe before this. I know 50 points is like the the magical number, but the league's been so god-awful at the bottom of the table. You're we probably safe two weeks ago. Yeah, it, it, it's a fair point. And look, Hull, Hull weren't great. So, um, so you know, contextually, it, it might need some uh, some significant improvements, uh, not just band-aids and sticking plasters for next season. But for now, it'll do. And um, you know what? We should we should talk a bit about Jordan Rhodes because I mean, he 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 definitely had a professional game. Um, you know, we've complained a lot about his contribution this season, but he I thought he was really good for the eighty minutes or so he was on the pitch. Should we go to our official Jordan Rhodes correspondent, Patty Jones, for this? Hi guys. Uh... Here I am, just reporting from uh, Jordan Rhodes' bedroom. Uh, he's very happy right now. Um, but he didn't show that when he scored the goal, did he? I thought he'd um, be like fist pumping and like screaming. He just kind of like put his hands in the air and went, yay. And then just strode off players, surrounded with the players who were decidedly more elated than he was. So that was a bit weird, I thought. Um, his goal itself was a bit weird too. It was a bit of a scrappy bit of defending from Hull. I think Bannon originally pumped it up towards Hunt, crossed it in, nice cross, but it was defended really well. And Bannon then popped it back in again with a looping header. He'll clear again. Then Venancio steps in and gives it to Hunty. And he just whips it in for uh, Rhodes, who's unmarked. Lovely little uh, finish. But yeah, it's um, I think overall from Rhodes, it was better. Um, the only, But I'm not going to say it was like life-affirming or whether I want to kind of keep him at the club for next season or not. It's just I just thought it was, it was decent. He did all right. He put himself about a lot. He hasn't got a lot of strength. 
I think still to this day, the, the words that Paul Owen described to Jordan Rose uh, to me in the pub once was that it's a bit like a butterfly annoying you, just flaps around you the entire time. And that's what he kind of does. It's just He's got not much weight to him, so he just kind of flaps and annoys people. And he wins some free kicks in good places. Uh, there was a, I think there was a, uh, a spell of attack from Hull and we cleared the ball and the camera panned and Jordan Rose was flat on the floor on the halfway line and no one saw what happened and suddenly he got a free kick for us and took, this, took the pressure away from us. And that's what kind of a professional job, I suppose, you're referring to is is winning those types of free kicks the entire the entire week, uh, the entire game. Sorry. Um, so I think he did a decent job. I don't think he was um, brilliant. I thought he took his goal well. Um, he just needs a bit more service. See what he can do with that service. But again, I don't think he's worth um, the eight million dollars, eight million pounds we paid for him yet. God, this season has ruined us, hasn't it? I mean, Paddy has literally gone from kind of you know the point where he would have. He would have smacked anyone in the face who dared to degrade the name of Jordan Rhodes to, yeah, he's all right, but, you know, he's not really worth the money. And, oh, gosh, do we have to play him again next season? Golly, it's it's been a tough 12 months, hasn't it? Um, yeah, I mean, probably fair enough, Paddy. I, th- I think I, compared to most Jordan Rhodes performances, he, he did put a shift in, I think. He put himself about more. Those kind of those little free kicks that he wins, they're actually quite hard to win. And you notice Addy doesn't win a lot of those, probably mostly because referees don't give him a fair crack of the whip, in all honesty. But but he, he did put himself around. And actually, he was defending fairly well in some of those more scrappy moments towards the end of the game as well. So, um, yeah, all credit to him. Um, I, I like your uh, your analogy of him flapping around like a butterfly because somebody uh, in our chat the other day said he uh, he flaps around like a T-Rex with those tiddy little upper body arms. So, um, you know, we're not being awfully complimentary to a guy who actually I thought had a really one of his better performances in a Wednesday shirt and showed a little bit more of what we, we did pay money for. I mean, not just the header he scored, but the header that McGregor saved, you know, just a few minutes before that, you know, both of them did really, really well to get up ahead of the whole defence and, and, you know, he could have had two goals on Saturday. So good on you, Jordan Rhodes. I'll defend you if Paddy won't. I mean, we are slagging off someone that scored, what is it, like 199 championship goals or something ridiculous? 99, oh, yeah, he's, right? he's one goal away from 100 goals, yeah. Yeah. I think yeah, David Nugent. quite a bit. <laughs> David Nugent's above him, and who else is this at the top? Can't remember now. Oh, is it oh. is it uh, New Hugh? <laughs> he's, he's he's close. Uh, Russ McCormick's the other one. McCormick, yeah, McCormick's top, and then Nugent's second. Rose is third. That's an awful thing to have in your uh, in your kind of your stats, though, isn't it? To have scored more goals in the championship than anywhere else, because it basically means you never quite made it in the Premiership. And look who's above him, for God's sake, Ross McCormack, who's just gone nuts. And, well, exactly. Uh, and David Nugent, who just got a bit fat. <laughs> yeah. Well, if we're not too enthusiastic about Jordan Rose's performance, perhaps, Evan, we can uh, muster up a little more enthusiasm for Barry Bannon. Yeah, I think I think it's Barry Bannon and Forestieri. Um, I, I think... We, we've been lacking so much creativity this year, and I think you know, you know Bannon's been great. He's done a really nice job all year. He's he's been pretty consistently uh, cre- creating some stuff in the midfield, moving the ball uh, through the midfield. But we've obviously lacked that that uh, creativity in the final third. But w- with Forestieri and and Bannon working together, uh, you can just tell they they have good chemistry. Uh, they're moving quickly. We, we, we saw a lot of good, really, really good stuff um, up both sides. Mainly, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think we mainly went up the right side um, on Saturday. 
And it was just, it was very impressive. And I think without Bannon, we miss a lot in the midfield. You know, we're not going to be able to rely on Jacob Butterfield and, and Jones and, and, you know, some of these, some of these jokers to, to make things happen in the midfield. It's, it's going to be Bannon and it's going to be anyone else that can run with him and, and create some space and, and bring pace to, uh, to the squad. I think Bannon's probably the only one on the team that could rival that, that squirrel for pace. Sorry, what, what was that? A, 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 a squirrel. Yeah, don't get a don't get ahead of the agenda. We call it a squirrel. We call it a squirrel. <laughs> I will say that where was I come from, boys. <laughs> the most excited, exciting thing that happened in the last thirty minutes that I saw. Because you have that moment where he pans away from the corner kick, and it's like the camera work on the I follow games have been a little dodgy this year, so you never really know. And he does this like quick like quick zoom in to the squirrel i don't know if you've seen there's a pretty famous uh video clip from the korean baseball league that gets posted every once in a while on twitter and it's of this pitcher like hitting the batter and then it like zooms in on the pitcher really quickly and then zooms out again and you just see like the pitcher's walking towards the batter like really tight in frame then it zooms out and both benches are emptying and like charging at him at the same time it's like something out of a uh like crazy uh western gunfight or something that's all i can think about when the when it like zoomed in really quickly on the squirrel and the squirrel took off and it zoomed back out nobody was actually chasing i assume someone was chasing the squirrel to get it off the pitch hold on hold on Jeff. was so. there a squirrel involved in this korean baseball video there that was no squirrel was that just an no. excuse to talk about korean baseball i was commenting on the camera work <laughs> that's what it reminded me of james it's very relatable there's nothing else to talk about in this whole game so <laughs> Well, to be fair, I did think the cameraman was was doing something weird, and then when I realized there was a squirrel on the pitch, I I got super excited. I mean, it was, um, it's it's always fun to watch a little rodent run across the pitch. Like, you know, he, he's so cute. It's such a cute little squirrel. And um, I know squirrels I know Luke Luke kind of has an affinity for squirrels. No, 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 no. Squirrels squirrels are not cute. Squirrels are are dangerous, horrible beasts that do horrible, horrible things when you're uh, when you least expect it. Years and years ago, my, um, my, I guess the, the backstory to the story is that my wife received a care package from someone in the UK that had several packages of jelly babies. And we went out of town for the weekend. And she stop, left the, stop, stop. What is a jelly baby? Uh, the UK members of our audience <laughs> will know what it is. Uh, Evan, have you never had a jelly baby? <laughs> no, no, this is, sounds awful. Oh, Evan, I can't believe I didn't put this in your care package last summer. I'm going back to Sheffield next week. I will send you a packet of Bassett's Jelly Babies. It's a bit like a knockabucker. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I know about it is because of the Tom Baker era Doctor Who, which my parents obsessively right. watched in the 80s. Okay. All right. Well, I, I'm still interested in this story, Luke. I'm sorry. Th- to think of. No, no, no. Think of it. Think of it as like a giant kind of waxy gummy bear, right? Waxy. waxy. Well, I mean, waxy. They're, they're, like, they're more kind of dusty, aren't they? It's kind of like someone sc- sculpted them in talcum powder. Dusty? Dusty and waxy? We're talking about sweets here. You're making this sound very appetizing for uh, Evan's eventual <laughs> care package. I can't wait to receive these dusty, waxy bunnies, babies, or whatever the fuck they are. Evan, just to be but, clear, the last thing I sent you was a packet of Yorkshire Parking that gave you the shits. So this is an upgrade. <laughs> the only way's up. That's true. Can't wait. Anyway... Anyway, um, 
the the packages were left out uh, in her in her room. This is before we lived together, um, and we went away. I think for the weekend. It was over the summer. I think we went to like someone's lake house, whatever. We get back, and a a squirrel has chewed through the plastic surrounding her air conditioner, and gotten into her room. And just gone nuts. Like, clearly had spent the weekend doing what squirrels do, which is hide stuff. Specifically, they hide food. Uh, so, for the rest of the time that she lived in that apartment, every t- every once in a while, you would move something that you hadn't moved for a while and find, like, the disembodied head of a jelly baby that had clearly been sitting there since the squirrel had put it there. And it was truly frightening and truly bizarre. And for years, I still, like, don't want to move certain things thinking there might be a disembodied jelly baby head behind it this sounds adorable this is, i mean this is like <laughs> was, squirrels not more i don't understand what you're talking about here it was sounds, it was not adorable it a was, squirrel breaks were, into your apartment rather than ranch up in the face he just basically hides jelly babies everywhere for you he oh no no, no. he 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 ransacked the place too he he like he ran all over the place he pooped on various things <laughs> he knocked I mean, my wife works in publishing. She has a very large collection of books. He knocked exactly one book off the bookshelf, and it happened to be the book that had a squirrel on the cover. So we think he was, like, performing some kind of, like, ritual self-loathing. He might have been reading it. Yeah, maybe. Still, I mean, still it was... Adorable. It, still adorable to it, me. I'm sorry. Hmm, this one looks good. Yeah, what was it? It was uh, Nabokov. So yeah, he's clearly a well-read squirrel. So, so Luke, basically, what you're telling us that you're a squirrel whisperer. You uh, no, no, you, no, you no. have some kind of special connection with squirrels, and the, and they they flock no, to you to I... cause debauchery in your apartment. No, that is not the only squirrel story we have from that apartment. But this this wasn't even my apartment. This was my wife's apartment. But my then or not, yeah. Anyway. Okay, so can we can we address the elephant in the room or the squirrel in the KC Stadium, KCOM Stadium, which is what the chuff was a squirrel doing there in the first place? It's not exactly a natural environment for squirrels, right? I mean, there's no trees, there's no kind of obvious hordes of nuts under the pitch or uh, or acorns to be had. So yeah. how did a squirrel get in there? I think he had some foresight of what was coming because clearly Jack Hunt's nuts on the floor very quickly after that. <laughs> so uh, I think he's took away with a couple uh... of uh, Jack Hunt's prized possessions. That was a remarkably good look, Patty. <laughs> that rescued us back to our match analysis. Um, Such as it Jack is. Had a very good game until he was uh, walloped in the uh, in in the most precious of areas. Oh, I felt for him. We we watching um, in the he got smoked in the nuts. Let's just call it how it was. Didn't he take like a knee to the general area in the Fulham game as well? I feel like I'm not oh, paying yeah. close attention to Jack Hunt's balls, but I'll take your word for that. I mean, they've been in the news. Well, evidently, evidently, Joss is. Did you see what he said after the match? <laughs> no, what did he say? Oh, it was absolutely fantastic. Was he said, someone asked him about the injury, and, and I don't have the tweet in front of me, but he, he basically said, it was like said in a sensitive area. Yeah, he said, I can't speak to that too much, but I know it was in a sensitive area. He's going to be, he's going to have to be careful when he goes home tonight. With the wife, it's just not happening. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mrs. Hunt was warmed off by, uh, by Mr. Luerke. <laughs> he's he suddenly discovered a sense of humor, hasn't he, at this uh, this late stage in the season? Well, well we're safe now. He, yeah. He's uh, he's not got too much to be worried about. I, I think he's I think he's coming back next year. So I think he uh, just kind of looking forward to it and, and having a good time until then. Before you know it, we're doing analogies about meat on the fire and closing the windows that kind of stuff too. Yeah, we're doing um, it in South Wales for a Premiership team. <laughs> <laughs> 
And that was probably the most prominent injury, but Jordan Rhodes also went off late in the match with a like, like a groin or a hamstring tweak, which, uh, since we had no strikers on the bench, led to Frederick Nielsen up front. All 7 foot 19 inches of Very big target man. Hold up, he, 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 he almost scored a goal. Though. He did. Uh, almost scored, Evan. He should have scored. I mean, him and Matthias had about three attempts, didn't they, to, uh, to bundle the ball over the line with that breakaway, and uh, and somehow both of them contrived to miss. I guess we can kind of we can excuse Nielsen on the basis that he must have. When I mean, you talk about players getting like a nosebleed when they get over the halfway line, he must have been having like a pulmonary embolism. Uh, all he, all like, he had to do was run through the ball. He just had to <laughs> run into it and run into the goal, and it was it was good. Uh, it, it was incredible. It was an incredible miss. It was an incredible miss, but to be fair, you know, Matthias looked quite lively when he came back on. He, he did the same against QPR as well. I mean, I, I think he's playing for a contract somewhere elsewhere after the season. We'll come on to that in a bit. But um, yeah, Freddie Nielsen as a striker. I mean, he kind of looks the part. He looks he looks beefcake like Andy knew. He just hasn't got the touch and the skill and the uh, the finishing prowess of the uh, the saviour, has he? So, I think as someone pointed uh, out in our just... WhatsApp group, he heads he heads balls on. He flicks balls on like a defenseman. <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, he's in any he's general a, direction. He's got a head like a TV set, as we used to say about Chef Kikuchi. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> Chef Kikuchi was actually a striker, so that was more of a problem. Um, he's great so, at winning headers; it just is not going to go in any useful direction. That, 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 that was the point. If you think of a time before flat screen TVs, TV sets were all angles, and uh, and very few uh, very few balls hitting them would go off in the direction you expected them to. Hence, uh, hence old telehead. Um, but yeah, Freddie Nielsen did okay. I thought actually generally, you know, there were some other unsung players in the squad. So I thought Tom Lee's had a good game. Um, so he seemed to kind of, you know, look quite assured and like he was in control of that that back line. Um, Venancio uh, looked uh, looked solid. Um, you know, most cases when we've called on him, he's uh, he's done well. I mean, he was rested against QPR and arguably, uh, you know, him being missing from the uh, the back line and that reversion to a flat back four really cost us last week. So it was nice to see him back and. Um, Pretty, uh, pretty controversially, I was, I was quite impressed with George Boyd. I thought he had a good game as well. You know, fairly undistinguished in terms of his, you know, his major contribution. But I just thought, I just thought his kind of his maturity and his movement and his, particularly that making space for others on the left was, uh, was, you know, a good contribution as well. So all around, I thought the team were okay. Um, I must have seen this in more positive light than everybody else. I can't remember being drunk on Saturday morning, but perhaps I was. Well, we were drunk slightly. And uh, we thought it was crap in the football factory because there was, I think it was eight, six, seven of us in the football factory. And That's everyone on WhatsApp, all you guys on WhatsApp were all saying how great we looked and all in the football factory were saying how shit we looked. It looked like times like we didn't know where we were supposed to be playing. I mean, Forest Gary was playing wing back, covering for Boyd quite a lot. Um, again, I don't see what you're seeing in Boyd. I'm sorry. It just seems anonymous the entire time. And I mean, I suppose he had a slightly better game against Hull than he did against... Um, I can't remember even last week now. They all merge into one. But I just, yeah, I just felt like the first first half specifically, there wasn't much cohesion between the players and where they were playing. Sometimes you'd see Forestieri up front. Sometimes you see him on uh, the wing. Sometimes you'd see him right near the corner flag trying to get the ball or covering for Boyd in some respects. Um, same with Reach. He's all over the place. And I don't mind in fluid football, but at times there was nobody in the positions they should have been in. So to me, it's like a team that doesn't know exactly their roles. So that was my biggest um, concern from Saturday. Uh, again, the question's over over Yoss, and just don't think um, he's got them playing consistently yet. Well, you can't go from playing a whether it was. I mean, some people have said it was a four-three-three against QPR. I still think he set it up as a four-two-three-one that kind of ended up as a four-three-three because probably for the same reason you described, Paddy. People weren't particularly clear. I, I've got to say. I, 
I'm not sure Fessy helps us to have discipline because he's not very positionally disciplined. Um, you know, one of his great assets is he'll he'll pop up somewhere you don't expect him and he'll chase the ball back halfway across the pitch and then go roving across to the right. But that makes it challenging for the players around him to get used to that. And I guess kind of if you look at even players like Reach and Boyd, you know, they haven't spent a lot of time on a pitch with Fernando Forestieri. Um, you know, they're, they're going to have have to get used to that and how to interchange positions with him. And until we have a stable stable side and a stable formation that's going to be pretty challenging i think how do we spend almost a half hour reviewing the whole game <laughs> well we, we won basically <laughs> we're not quite as despondent as we were <sighs> and, a lot, and a lot of squirrel talk it is a lot of squirrel talk and we are uh, safe so we look forward now to playing out the string heading to the beach as has been previously suggested but where do we Go from here, folks. Do we start showcasing younger players? Borikov. Like Preslav. <laughs> he might be the only fit striker we have at the moment, Evan. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'd love to see that kid up here. He's a he's a box. Like that guy is bulky. He's he can score. He he's fantastic. I'd he's love to see him up 18. here. Eighteen. That guy's got he's got TV head and a media unit as a body. That guy he's massive. <laughs> It's a full entertainment center. Soundbar for a chin. It's a good question, though, Jeff. I mean, so do we... I mean, we, we, <laughs> we're kind of already there, aren't we? We've blooded half the youth uh, as, a, as a result of uh, circumstance rather than choice, I guess. But, you know, do we do we push on for the last three games of the season and, you know, try and kind of, you know, distill this team into something that's kind of, you know, a fighting unit ready for 2018-19? Or... Or do we take the foot off the gas, bring a few more of the youth players in, just kind of just do a bit more experimentation and tinkering and then kind of accept that, that things are going on? Or do we go the whole hog and say, okay, something really fundamentally has to change in some. We've got some major surgery to perform on the squad. You know, there's still a question mark around whether Jos Luakai stays as manager. You know, do we make some of those decisions now? Do we get them out there before the end of the season and give ourselves a head start on pre-season? I don't know what, what, what people think is the best way around on that. Because... I'm not sure just kind of an apathetic end is, is going to be helpful for us in either case. Look, the important thing is that they actually apparently have a 2018-2019 kit design, and maybe they'll wear that in the last game. That'll probably be the most exciting thing that'll happen. At least it's something, because something's going to come on the pitch, is it? The excitement's not coming off the pitch at this rate. I think apathy is More the squirrels? We need for. more squirrels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the last game of the season, they just release a cage of squirrels onto the pitch. <laughs> Everyone goes fucking mad. Look up, Patty. Everyone goes nuts. Everyone hey, goes nuts. Hey. We should hide jelly babies around Hillsborough and just release squirrels around. And that's, that'll be our entire strategy for next season. Have you ever been in the dressing rooms at Hillsborough? No. How many squirrels are there? No, they've got bags <laughs> of jelly babies in there. The players like, like, they like gummy sweets. They have Haribo and jelly babies and that sort of thing knocking around. So maybe they just need to open some of those earlier all like the squirrels of Hillsborough Park will converge might explain our lack of pace if they're all eating jelly babies before the game (laughs) jelly babies and jaff cakes dusty waxy treats this was meant to be a serious question you know should we start to perform major surgery on the squad and the the club now and instead we're resorting to you know should we release a cage of squirrels on the pitch in the Norwich game (laughs) at no point in the show so far has this been a remotely serious podcast so I and I think we don't we don't have an answer. I mean, like all of yes, the options. Do. Squirrels, squirrels. Okay, yeah. <laughs> squirrels, it is. 
I'd be I'd be good with with just experimenting. I don't know if uh, if we threw Nielsen up front just because we had to, or if that's you know something. I don't think that's Josh <laughs> saw. In, well, maybe you know you, you never know. Maybe that's something he saw in training, and he thought, you know, ah, we need we need to throw someone on there. Uh, Nielsen does well in certain situations. Let's see what he does. Like if if and that might be an extreme example, but. You know, maybe you throw Palmer at, at right midfield for a game Whoa, or two. No, 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 no. Stop it. Stop, yeah, stop see, here we go. Obsession. Here we go. I, I meant this to be a serious question, and then Evan just gets serious. And it's like, oh, no, no. Shut the fuck up, Evan. You suck. That's not serious for a second. Palmer was god awful when he came on for Jack Hunt after he got smacked in the nuts. He was, yeah, and that's fair. But, you know, those are just examples. Do you want to... <laughs> Another contentious one. Do you want to see Morgan Fox play in the midfield a couple of times? Um, Evan, all your ideas are bad. Uh-huh, bad yeah. ideas. That's what my wife didn't tells we, me as well. Uh, <laughs> didn't we say uh, maybe we a dozen episodes this ago that by the end of the season we just devolve into suggesting mob football formations? <laughs> hey, look, I, I'm not suggesting any of those things are good ideas. I'm saying I, I'm just giving extreme examples of experimenting. This is the I think we should be signed Darren Potter. And playing up for anything. We, sure. Can we get it. Ben Marshall a medical? Maybe we could put uh, put some some knocker balls on each player, <laughs> send them out there to just wreck everyone on the on the opposition, and maybe DC as well. Evan, this this is the answer to doing the Reading preview because I've still not thought of anything interesting to say about Reading. What if we played Reading in Zorbs? Knockerbockers. What's a Zorb? Yeah. Uh, it could work. Yeah, that'd be cool. Zorbs um, squirrels inside. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe yeah, Forrest Thierry plays plays like the top striker. He's the target man. Um, in the Zorb. We could we could go we could do a bunch here. There you go, James. That's uh, our next season's yeah, strategy. Zorbs squirrels. <laughs> Cheers, Zorb, guys. Thanks squirrels. for the really serious that you gave that particular segment. <laughs> Zorb squirrels and Liam Palmer at right midfield. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break now. now. We're going to take a break now. That's what's going to happen. And when we come back, we'll talk to our Cincinnati Owl for a slightly more serious discussion about how he became a Wednesdayite. We are down one Paul this week. And we've moved quickly to replace him with another. It's our Cincinnati <laughs> Owl, Paul. Alan? Paul, how did you become Hi, a Wednesday night? How did I become a Wednesday night? Um, well, I was uh, I grew up in Sheffield. But I grew up in the uh, close vicinity of Bramall Lane. And... Um, so um, most of my most of my relatives are on my mother's side, and they were all United fans. And um, but I was always attracted to Wednesday, and my dad leaned towards Wednesday. But in the early years, I you know I was interested in both teams. But uh, I think it was in 1958, showing my age. Um, there was a derby match upcoming in Sheffield and um, I was asked 
which team I was going to prefer for that derby match. And if my recollection is correct, I said Sheffield United. And my dad said, well, your uncle Cliff and I, we're going to be rooting for Wednesday. So I said, okay, I'll go with Wednesday. <laughs> I think that was the decisive moment. Well, you, soon as, your gut feel was United, though. That was some weird, deep stuff going in there, Paul. Well, because I lived so close to Bramall Lane. <laughs> and then um, once, I'd, once I'd made that choice, living where I did and going to the school that I went to, junior school that I went to, which was also the same school that Richie Humphreys went to sometime later, um, you know, I got a lot of abuse, <laughs> a lot of abuse. <laughs> so I, the I, closest call I've seen from going one way or the other. It's almost like tossing a coin. <laughs> I, well, yeah, maybe, maybe it was, <laughs> but um, because of the uh, because of the uh, abuse that I got from all and sundry, it, I was hardened into that very very quickly, and. Uh, you know, before uh, before too long, it was I was in the usual mode of supporting one team and hating the other. You know, yeah, that was a close call, mate, by the sound of it. Um, but thank God for your uh, dad and your uncle who chose the right side. Yeah, love, love me, Uncle Cliff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, did Uncle you get... Cliff was the guy that that actually took me to the cup final in 1966. So yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I owed him a lot. Ah, oh, good man, good man. So obviously you, you kind of um, grew up then through a purple patch for Wednesday. Oh, it was uh, What yeah. were some of your best like uh, highlights of that era? Well, there were so many, um, but um, I suppose it's with, uh, in retrospect, you realise how really good it was. I mean, probably the first first season that I went to Hillsborough with any regularity was 60-61 when they finished second in the league. And, um, um, you know, I can't really remember much about the games that season, but I, I, I do have this vivid recollection of, you know, going through the turnstiles on Penniston Road and climbing up the steps at the back of the earth bank that was the cop in those days. And it was very steep. You guys don't sound as though you're too young to even know what it was like, but it was just a big steep earthen bank on one side with, you know, terraced standing on the other side. It was really almost like climbing Mount Everest. You got to the top and then you look down and, um, wow. <laughs> I mean, it, it it took your breath away. I I remember reading not so many seasons ago. Gary Megson said that you know when he was trying to impress upon the players coming to play for Wednesday, what Wednesday were all about, he would take them to the top of the cup, which obviously is seating and covered now. But he still he said that is the view. That is the view that you know, made him into a Wednesday fan when he was a kid. And um, that's how I feel about it still. It was, it sounds pathetic, but it was a, it was a momentous occasion to, to, 
to see that. And of course, in those days, Gary's dad was captain of the team. So yeah, you got you got the Megson in there. You got Springer in that side. Um, well, uh, you know, Springer, Spring, Springer, Johnson, Megson, McInerney, Swan, K. I mean, that was like everybody used. You know, the forward line changed around a bit, but that uh, uh, the fullbacks and the halfbacks, as they used to be called in those days, didn't change. Well, it only changed if there was an injury, which wasn't that often. It was the same team, week in, week out, and that was uh, that was really the, the 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 strength of that team. And Tony Kay, of course, it went on to uh, all kinds of. Uh, uh, difficulties in his life was probably, you know, uh, pound for pound the best, the best of them all. And uh, I didn't know him, but I, uh, his cousin used to sit next to me in, in school, and so I used to get, you know, autographs and photographs and and things from him. So that it was, it was a fantastic time. You know, the games that I remember most were probably uh, the home game against Spurs that season. Spurs winning the league, of course. But also, which we won 2-1. And, uh, but also, the most incredible game, was, which I wasn't at, but was the, the replay in the Cup with Manchester United, where Wednesday won 7-2 at Old Trafford. What year was that? Uh, Huh? Six, that, that same year, sixty-one. Yeah, sixty-one. I was, uh, you know, I was I was, I was born in fifty-one, so I was nine. But I was still in bed, and I remember my grandmother coming and waking me up. Said, "You're not going to believe this," because <laughs> they'd drawn one-one at Hillsborough on the Saturday before. It was, uh, you know, they were just amazing days, and then. Of course, uh, not long after, well, the following season really it was, I think, if I recall correctly, was when Santos and uh, Pelé, who was, I think he was like 22 or something, but he was already world famous, played in the World Cup, uh, did did a tour of Europe and uh, they played at Hillsborough. In 1962, did you go see that? I didn't. My dad, oh. my dad did. He wouldn't buy me a ticket because he was he was worried for my safety. You know, I think it was 55,000 crowd. Yeah, what I've seen pictures of that day it looks amazing, and there's so many people in that stadium, especially on the the, the mound of the cop which you described earlier. On. It's like it was heaving with people. It was just. It was just incredible. I mean, the, the to be on that cop in those days with those big crowds was just an incredible feeling. Uh, you know, and it made you feel, you know, I was just a working class kid and it made you feel part of something, you know, big, something you could aspire to. I mean, it was in days when, uh, I'm talking like the old man now, but, you know, for a working class kid in Sheffield, in those days, there weren't really that many things, you know, to do other than go to school. It was, it was, it was football um, 
in the winter and cricket in in the summer but you know even cricket was very much secondary to uh, the, the football everybody went everybody everybody went the working men you know my dad was was um, worked in uh, the, one of the steel factories and you know they would get off at lunchtime on a saturday they go to the pub uh slope down as much as they could in a couple of hours and then it was off to the match that's how it was that was that was the weekend back into the pub afterwards <laughs> doesn't, it, that doesn't sound stuff. all that different nowadays at least if you're james marriott <laughs> no, but there's, a lot, there's, a, there's a lot more uh competition for uh for your entertainment you know and even if you weren't going to the game i would watch you know, sport on the grandstand, it was called. Grandstand on the TV all, all afternoon. And then uh, around about, well, just after the, you know, 20 to 5, after the games were finished, then they'd go to the, the teleprinter, which was, and, the, you know, it was literally a, an old-fashioned teleprinter. It made so much noise, they had to have a covered mic as they read out the results from the, from the teleprinter. And it would go very slow, you know, and it would, so you'd watch each letter being printed out. And obviously, I, when I was watching, we were always the away team. So you'd see, you know, West Ham United 2, Sheffield Wednesday. And then it all used to like stutter and wait till it hit, till a number came up and your heart was pounding, you know, it was unbelievable. <laughs> That's good. And your whole weekend depended on that last number coming up. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so, what is it specifically that brought you uh, brought you over to the United States? When did you get here, and uh, you know, maybe specifically, how'd you get to Cincinnati? Oh well, I um, I left Sheffield to go to university in '69, uh, and then I went to work in London, and uh, um, I wound up working in the chemical industry and um, um, I speak uh, a few languages so I was kind of on an international track and uh, went to a few different countries and then was in Europe and then was shipped over to uh, Canada in 1988 and then in 1991 I was shipped here to Cincinnati for two years and um, I'm still here. <laughs> still here with yeah. my. There's definitely a twang in your voice, Paul. Like, definitely, there's a mixture of Yorkshire and uh, American in there. I noticed earlier on you 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 um you corrected yourself from saying Derby to Derby. <laughs> I just thought it was funny. <laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, we're near, here in Cincinnati. We're very near to Kentucky, so Derby's the race. And but he. We, I, I was just at a game last week, Cincinnati and uh, Louisville, and hey. they call that they call that a derby. So. Hey, how how'd that go, by the way? I have to ask. <laughs> uh, Evans, Evans a Louisville fan, by the way, Paul. So you have to. Uh, be oh, so he, to fight knows. Against you he knows. He knows. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The only so thing well. is that uh, the only thing that I take solace in is that uh, Louisville has the next Wednesday player as their coach. So. Uh, We've had him yeah. on. We've had uh, James, friend of the podcast. Is he? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We we had him on a couple uh, couple months ago. I think he's a great coach. Oh, he's been fantastic. 
Uh, done done very well in Louisville. Uh, so so you mentioned FC Cincinnati. Is that a team that you you follow and you get behind, or is that more of just a um, like a weekend thing to do? No, I'm a season ticket holder, and so is my wife. We awesome. have been right since it started. Uh, this is the third season I'm going into. Your champion. My right? wife's kind of followed me to games in in Europe, but never really got into it. Uh, yeah, I mean, she's from Manchester, so they don't know anything much about football. But uh, <laughs> uh, since she's come to Cincinnati, she's got involved, and it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's it's fantastic. The crowds are unbelievable. The atmosphere is great. Um, and of course, there's a lot of excitement at the moment about MLS. And, uh, I think we're going to hear very shortly, uh, whether they're going to get into MLS or not. There was a meeting today in Los Angeles. It's certainly looking that way, isn't it? I saw a few people in the news saying there's, there's rumors that it's already pretty much done. I think you've got your stadium approved too. Is that right recently? Well, yeah, I think a lot of us, me, uh, me included, have got a little ticked off about the whole stadium thing, but uh, it looks as though it's come to uh, some kind of conclusion now. The city council voted last night uh, to support. Uh, not They're not going to pay for the stadium, but they're going to build infrastructure around the stadium. And uh, FC Cincinnati's uh, settled with the local school district in terms of the property taxes that they're going to pay on the new stadium. So I think it's close to being a done deal, yeah. But it's going to be crazy because last Saturday for the Louisville game, there were 26,000 people there. Um, and uh, the stadium's going to be 21,000. That is a bit strange, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. 26,000 for Louisville versus uh, Cincinnati yeah. in the USL. I mean, I was at Red Bulls versus Montreal on Saturday. I don't think there was any 10,000 people there. It was, it was so poorly yeah. attended. And you can see Red Bulls tenants going down and down. It's, uh, it's a shame, really. Um, but I'm so happy that yeah. there's burgeoning yeah, fans. We're friendly stuff. with Crystal Palace. Sorry, excuse me. So, yeah, I'm just I'm happy friendly with Crystal Palace. We had 35,000. <laughs> yeah. It's a great city by the sound of it. And uh, actually, onto that. Myself and Evan are visiting Cincinnati very soon. In oh, two weeks, cool. actually. Um, we'll be there for a festival on the waterfront at the National Playing. So if you're around, we're planning to do a brewery trip uh, at some point in the evening, I think, on Saturday. So if you want to come for a quick beer, it might be late in the evening. Sure, but, uh, yeah. yeah, I think it would be the... I think FC Cincinnati might be home that weekend. So uh, you might have to come after the match, hopefully after a loss. Yeah. <laughs> Evan, Evan will be solved well, the entire evening about Louisville. I don't think Louisville needs Cincinnati to lose too many games. They just, <laughs> just they'll, they'll just win their own games. I think, won't they? This year again, like last year. Yeah, yeah, they haven't haven't lost yet. Haven't even drawn yet. They, they're uh, I think three or four and and oh, so going yeah. well. Yeah. So so uh, what are you what are you thinking about next season for Wednesday? You know, it's been obviously rough, but we've secured. Uh, a spot in in the championship next year. So, uh, what's your outlook like for the for the club? Well, yeah, we survived, and I think that's a big relief. It was looking pretty bad at one moment. I, um, well, I'm a Wednesdayite, so you know, I uh, I tend to be a little pessimistic, but um, uh, I think it's um, I think it's going to be a, it's going to be difficult to turn things around at least back to where they've been in the previous two seasons. I mean, 
I think in terms of the players that they sign, in terms of the money that they spent, uh, you guys have uh, uh, broadcast about the whole FPP situation. You know, I think it's uh, it's going to be very difficult uh, to get back uh, to where we're challenging for promotion again. I mean, that's got to be the goal, but to do it in one season from where we are now, I think we've got too many aging players. Um, we've uh, probably spent too much on some of those players. Um, I think it's going to be difficult, personally. How do you guys feel about it? Um, I'm a little bit more optimistic, I think. I think uh, if you can get some shrewd business done... Um, I think we can be in the playoffs. I don't think we'll be challenging top two uh, if um, we can keep people fit. Um, but again, there's a lot of um, unknowns this time around. Whereas this year, I thought we were pretty much nailed on to go up. So uh, who knows what the future holds, really. But I, I'm a little more optimistic than that. I think we can uh, get top six. I think, I, think, I think the playoffs last year and the way it ended, it, it had a depressing effect on me. I think it... I think it it seemed to do on the club, I think. I mean, we're blaming injuries and a lot of other stuff this year, but I, I don't think it's just that. I think it's made the situation much worse, but I think it would have been difficult to replete, repeat the previous season without, you know, more freshening up of the squad. Definite lack of pace. Um, and, uh, well, we'll see what the squad is next year. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We we definitely appreciate having <laughs> you on. on a positive note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it's Half been a pleasure though. Yeah, you know, we get we get fans uh, of all ages from from all eras, and uh, it's just it's so cool for me. <gasps> I, I haven't followed Wednesday for for a very long time, and it's cool for me to hear you know firsthand accounts of of kind of the some of the history of the golden days of Wednesday because I haven't really experienced any golden days of of Wednesday football yet. So, uh, Paul, Paul, thank you. Seriously, they thank come. You. They come. Yeah. They come. Yeah. And we apologize for uh, Evan's lack of hospitality in this segment. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, thanks again, mate. It's been, been great. We'll get in touch about uh, Cincinnati in a couple of weeks. We'll be in your town and we'll hopefully uh, get a beer together. Okay, it'd be great. time for this week in wednesday land and we start with a rather somber anniversary james allen uh yeah um i guess it's it's kind of the counterpoint to all the humor earlier in the podcast but of course um i think it was it uh, was it sunday uh was the ooh, gosh 29th anniversary of the uh, the hillsborough disaster um so i think you know we, d we don't need to dwell on on the subject matter it's been discussed that length and um you know, and there, there are many, many uh, perspectives out there, but we we just simply, you know, share our thoughts and our um, our condolences with all of the families of those people who um, who sadly went to a football match and, and didn't come home. So, for the '96 and for for all of their families, um, you know, our thoughts are with them. And you know, as as every year, um, everybody I think associated with Sheffield Wednesday uh, just keeps them in their thoughts, and uh, and um, we. 
we hope that we'll never see a day like that again in football. Um, so yeah, from everybody at Owls Americas, we didn't want to let that pass without uh, without you know just making making mark of uh, of what is another year without all of those people in uh, in people's lives, which is uh, a tragedy as it always will be. In happier news, and speaking of possible striker options for the rest of the season, uh, Fraser Preston scored a ridiculous goal for the under-23s and put them back atop the PDL2. Yeah, seriously, if you haven't seen this goal, you have to get on Twitter, get on the Wednesday website and check it out because it was phenomenal. Uh, one of the best goals you see this season. It is about time to start thinking about out-of-contract players in the summer. And we've talked a lot on the show about George Hurst's contract situation over the past few months. But uh, Sean Clare, before suffering a season-ending injury like most of the squad, uh, acquitted himself fairly well on the wing. But it does not look like he's going to be signing up full-time. Yeah, it, uh, I, I kind of... I think we kind of talked about this a couple weeks ago or maybe months ago by now but um seems like he's got some maybe premier league premier league sides after him and it's truly unfortunate that he got hurt and we couldn't see him more often in the first team because i do think that his days in hillsborough are numbered um but he's a great player a lot of promise and a lot of teams recognize that and and are looking to scoop him up as quickly as they can I guess on the one hand, it does speak well of our academy that we're developing players now like Hurst and Sean Clare that are gathering Premier League interest. Not that we're actually uh, (laughs) getting any like financial benefit out of it, but (laughs) yeah, sure. Great on our academy, but poor on our club's part. You know, they're they're on the business side of things. I mean, it is just difficult. I think contract on it. And if, I mean, if it's once the Premier League comes calling, it's, it's tough to, you know, put up a commensurate offer. And, you know, in this day and age, just the financial differences are too vast between the two leagues, especially for a team that hasn't, you know, been up in the last almost 20 years at this point. And, hasn't benefited from the new TV contract or parachute payments or stuff like that. Well, it just takes one, right? One one sale pays for the academy. For, yeah, yeah. So you know, if we can't if we can't keep them on contract, you know, and they still go on and play, you know, for I don't know, not Southampton, but you know, another good side that um, where they show what they're made of, then that reflects well on on what we do. So expect the next player to go earlier i guess yeah and I, I guess we should kind of say as well i mean in, even if a player is out of contract when they're a youth player then you know there is a, a mechanism by which the club is kind of protected to an extent in terms of the the value that they're they're, they're granted back so you know there's a tribunal system which so for instance you know george hurst more than likely will run out his contract and sean Clare, it sounds like as well and potentially sign with you know bigger clubs on higher wages well it isn't there isn't just the provision for Premier League clubs to be predatory on lower league academies and take the best players and, and not compensate. So Wednesday will get money back. Um, you know, whether it's equivalent to the, the future value of those players remains to be seen. But the more players you produce like that, the more value you generate. And actually, you know, what you really want to see is those t- those players kind of as you were alluding to, Evan, 
getting into the top team and playing you know a good couple of seasons and uh, and you get the benefit of them before they do move on if, if you do stay in in the lower leagues and I think we talked a lot about Ryan Sessegnon last week he's a perfect example of that you know he he will probably go on to be probably one of the best players in England um, I think he won championship player of the year this year absolutely squarely and fairly um probably won't stay at Fulham his entire career but they're going to have got two or three really good seasons out of him before he he makes a you know, very significant move to a potentially quote unquote bigger club. So that's gotta be the model Wednesday I've got to be looking at. We've got to be getting more of those players into consistent roles in the team. And if it means that ultimately they move on then then we get good compensation for them. I think Hurst and Clare are just kind of the the tip of the iceberg really in terms of the generation that's coming through though. So we're seeing really good performances from the under twenty threes back up at the right end of the division. You know, that golf from Fraser Preston's an incredible goal and he's he's doing really, really well. You've got Borokov, you've got players like Jordan Thornley who are getting into the team. So actually, I, I kind of look at it as a sign of success in terms of what the academy is beginning to produce, which we haven't had for a long time. Well, Wednesday were away at Hull. There was action on the pitch at Hillsborough, a charity game on family day, and uh, Delphine Chanziri threw himself into the uh, into the mix there. There's some pretty funny photos online of him. A, contesting a header about as well as Hull did against Jordan Rhodes, but the effort was there. And maybe that's one of the things we experiment in the end of the, <laughs> the, end of the season is, is putting DC up front and uh, letting him take some headers and, and start to produce some stuff for us up front. I don't think he can wear slacks on the pitch. I don't think that's official. Uh... <laughs> no, I'm sure we have plenty of people looking to chant full kit wanker at him, though, if he wants to. <laughs> He wants to put on the kit and, and head out there. I think we'd love it. Did I spot, spot a uh, certain member of Reverend and the Makers with a very nice uh, back heel flicked goal in there? I think I think John McClure scored too, didn't he? He, scored, he had a he scored one back heel flick, and then he had a he had a lovely little curler. I saw him. Uh, the back heel, the back heel flick a few nice. times. It was like yeah, Gary some, t- some tasty stuff. Imagine that feeling, though. I mean, just just pause on that for a second. You're a Wednesday fan. Yeah. You get to play on the pitch at Hillsborough in a when uh, okay. In a full Wednesday kit. I mean, we can we can make the full kit wanker jokes, but that's still pretty special. And you score a goal at the cop end. I think, um, yeah, fair, fair play to to John. That's an absolutely phenomenal experience. I'd love to do that. And we um, also know that it, Paul uh, would not approve because he was in the the yellow and black away kit. Yeah, it's a technicality, isn't it? I mean, multi bananas and uh, and Paul Owen might not mix together, but I think if that was the uh, the price I had to pay to get on the pitch at Hillsborough and score a goal, I'd be all right with it. It was a 5-4 thriller. It's the most exciting match there all year, probably. Absolutely. And, I, I, you know, I, I also, you know, really commend Defon Chanceri as well. You know, he, uh, I, we, we talk, we go backwards and forwards on the issues related to the club and, and the decisions he's making. And, you know, everyone has their perspectives. But I, I still stand by the point. I don't think you can really question where his, his intent is here. He does want to immerse himself in the club and he does want the club to be successful. And he's he's not so precious about it that he's not willing to uh, to get on a pitch and uh, and going to get knocked about a bit, whether it's by a knockerbocker or by a, a team of 11 uh, um, Wednesday musician, Wednesday sporting musicians. So good for him. And then there's just one more news note that James Allen put on here. This is Fernando Forestieri's son's first birthday party. Yeah, did everyone see this on Instagram? I did not. No, no. I'm, get, I'm not with the kids Instagram. on the Insta. I mean, Fessy's Instagram's always fun anyway because he's he's normally off somewhere around the world, you know, taking a picture of somewhere glorious. But yeah, he had his uh, his little boy was uh, turned one last week, I think, and um, he uh, he put some pictures up, and one of the pictures, this lovely picture, of kind of lots of people at the party. But there's 
there's Addy Newhu in the background, kind of wearing a party hat and with a plate of cake. And there's Lucas Shaw, kind of, you know, picking <laughs> oh, his head no. from the corner. And um, Pella Pessi's there, flexing his guns. Uh, who else? I think Freddie Venancio's tucked in uh, in the side as well. Um, it's, it's actually, you know, what what I like about it is it's you know it's a, it's a lovely image and it's um, with you know happy birthday to uh, Mini Forestieri and we look forward to him breaking into the team in about seventeen years time. Um, but it's just nice to see the players hanging out outside of work and you know kind of you know forming a little bit of a core, right? And who knows what's going to happen this summer and how many of them are going to be left at Hillsborough? But those that are, that's what we want to see. You want to see them pulling for each other, right? So that's good. We don't have any dispatches from American soccer this week, but we do have dispatches from American tattoo parlors, potentially, Evan Skelter. Yeah, so um, I have good news. My, I, I have convinced Rachel to let me get a, a new Hue tattoo. Are you getting point. the Pete McKee design? I think so. I, I have to kind of figure out if that's legal or not. I don't know what the... Uh, what the, the ethics, laws are. I, I think it's legal. There's probably some ethics involved. Yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, I might have to try to get a hold of them. But yeah, I just you know we were we were in the car and I said Rachel like look, I, I need to get this tattoo. I I really I really need it. She said look, I, I, Evan, I'm not opposed to you getting a tattoo. I just don't understand why you want to get this big soccer player tattooed <laughs> I mean, on your body. Just and have so, her listen to episodes one through twenty seven of the podcast, and I feel like exactly. all will become clear. So she doesn't listen to the podcast, which what's uh, probably the right yeah, decision. I know it's terrible, but no, I just uh, I said, uh, you know what? Let me let me tell you why. And I I turned on some inspirational background music, and I went into my my spiel, and it went a, a little something like this. It's kind of paraphrasing. Um, <clears throat> it's a little bit long, but I, I had to say it, and so it goes something like this. Cue the the inspirational music here. Wait, are you going to sing again? Because we only had one song for you today. No, I'm not singing. Okay. Just speaking. Just making sure. Acting new he is a man that... Oh, hold, on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Come on. Evan, Evan. <laughs> where, where, where's the inspirational background music? I'm going to put it in to, post. I don't do it live. In post. With that kind of podcast now, we put things in post. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good God, we're professional. Keep oh, you've just clearly. ruined it. Like, the the, the whole mood is gone. Thank you. I was like, you're waiting to hear like, the theme from Rocky or something. No, it was a little bit more mellow, if I recall correctly. Um, but I, I just said, Atty knew he was a man that deserves respect, Rachel. He was a relative unknown when he was signed to Sheffield Wednesday. Folks only knew him as a gigantic forward that didn't move well. He got some game action at first, but once we signed the new shiny strikers like Hooper, Forestieri, Fletcher, uh, etc., I knew he was put on the shelf like a reject. He went weeks and months without first-team selection, and supporters scratched their heads anytime his name appeared on the team sheet. Even after the shiny new toys were broken, knew he was left on the shelf. He looked on with envy as Rhodes, Matthias, and Zhao failed to stop our slide down the table, and it wasn't until management realized the, the replacement pieces weren't producing that knew he was called into the fray. He was the, literally the last resort, the only thing that could save a dying club from relegation. His reception wasn't a positive one. Fans continued to scratch their heads and voice their frustrations with the lad. And as if his big frame wasn't enough to carry around, he had the weight of an entire club and its worried, furious supporters on his back. Most would crumble under this sort of pressure, Rachel. Most would quit after all that abuse, but instead, through hard work and dedication, the cloudy sky opened and a light shined down. The big man, who was so underappreciated that his own club couldn't get him a shirt that fit him, 
began banging in some goals, and Wednesday started winning some matches. Skeptics still said it wouldn't continue. It couldn't continue, but it did. And despite all the criticism and cynical shouts from the stadium seats, Big Dave would run to the supporters to celebrate every goal he scored. The man was undervalued, underappreciated, disrespected, and abused, but never changed his attitude and never quit. As a result, he quite literally saved our season. He became the hero we all needed, but didn't deserve. A tattoo of New Hue would serve as a constant reminder to never give up, no matter how bad things get. Never oh stop working hard, because someday, the people that ignore you may need you. Always be ready to step up and make good things happen. It might not seem like it today, but your chance to become a hero could be tomorrow. Dare to be ready. Dare to new you. Yeah! Oh, USA. Um, <laughs> she, was in, she was in tears, and she said, she said, take my money. <laughs> where, where, where do I sign up? Who's, uh, who, who's inking me? You even, yeah. got, you even got to pay for it. Was that good? Well, we share money anyway, but uh, you know, <laughs> it was for effect. Evan, that was beautiful. You, well done, you, you are two for two in in epic polemic um, contributions this week, mate. Well, uh, any new hue is always available for selection in our hearts. He may not be available for selection at Reading. So we turn whoa, our whoa, attention. Whoa. Just, just before we move on, Jeff. Yeah. So as we were talking there, uh, Evan, you, you, you made me realize, you know, there were all sorts of cultural references in there. For, I think we ended somewhere close to the biblical one that we've uh, we've come back to many times. But you just made me realize that Addy knew who is Woody to Jordan Rhodes' Buzz Lightyear. Right. <laughs> that, was, that was like a perfect Toy Story segue, right? He's the, he's the toy that was left in a box in the attic. Because we had something shiny and new that shot lasers. Be more Look, appropriate if we were playing Toy Town this week as a transition, but hey, yeah. Mm. Wow. Instead, a uh, uh, exciting late season playoff rematch with Reading, James Allen. Yeah, yeah, Reading, woo. Um, so I, uh, I'm not going to say anything about Reading. I'm, I'm on record as saying it's an absolute. Uh, just a disgrace of a town shouldn't exist completely completely boring doesn't have anything to to say for itself so i looked at i I thought we'd have a bit more of a serious conversation which was about kind of reading's form so i looked up their stats um i'm looking at footystats.org and it says form poor uh scored poor conceded poor um so they've uh they've won what two of the last five but (laughs) <laughs> they're uh, they're in a lowly 19th out of the 24 in the the championship. They uh, they score on average a goal a game, but they concede on average a goal and a half a game. Um, they uh, they only score a goal every 80 minutes, and they concede a goal every 60 minutes. So uh, so things things looking up in terms of a, a team that's fairly down its luck. Uh, I don't even know who their manager is after they got rid of Yachtstam. But you know, here's a team in Reading that were um, well, they were within like a couple of kicks going to the Premiership last season, right? I mean, they they got all the way to the playoff final. They lost like we did on penalties to Huddersfield, and they've kind of got a similar trajectory to Wednesday in the sense they've had an absolutely god awful season, but incredibly they've had a worse season than we've had. So if you think it's been miserable being a Wednesdayite, um, think about how miserable it must be to support an absolute hellhole of a club like Reading and to have the season like they've just had, which is worse than the season we've just had after the uh, the highs of last year. So. Um, yeah, they're down on their uppers. So hopefully that will mean that we um, we can close out the season with a you know with a victory and and kind of you know keep on our upward trajectory. But 
it's it's just interesting, isn't it, how the fortunes turn so quickly in the championship. A club that's right, right up there um, finds itself skirmishing with relegation, or clubs that were right up there do. Um, and other teams like Millwall are fighting it out for the playoffs who've just come up from League One. I'm not going to mention the other one that did. Just goes to show that things change fast in this division. So, um, you know, we shouldn't necessarily baseline where we are now with where we're going to be next year. Um, and Reading are like the perfect encapsulation of that. Um, I, I can't claim that I'm particularly interested in what's going to happen on the pitch on Saturday, but it's another game we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sign up and we'll watch. And speaking of uh, things changing fast on the pitch, their manager is Paul Clement. Did it, is he really? Yes. I was just, yeah. I was just thinking who manages him nowadays. Paul Clement. Wow. So uh, he's ducked it with Derby, and now he's uh, now he's knocking around with Reading. Yeah, that's 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 not a great exchange. He was at Swansea thought... briefly as well. Oh yeah. You mentioned the form guide there, James. Have you seen where we are in the form guide right now? Um, I would imagine completely confused because we're we're sort of up and we're down every other week. That's what I would have thought too. We're fourth in the championship form table. Uh, really? the, only, the only people above us are Millwall, Fulham and Wolves. That's How astonishing. A bizarre is that? <laughs> Over what period is that, Paddy? Six games. Last six games. So encapsulates four of our two. wins. It's <laughs> what we call arbitrary endpoints. But... Well, see, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you take the QPR game out of that. Um, I guess we've we've had a better few weeks, really. You know, with the international break in there as well, then maybe we give ourselves credit for. That's, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have picked that. But then again, I wouldn't have picked Millwall to be right up there either. So, well, they've been on a storm, haven't they? They haven't lost in ages. So yeah, behind um, Wolves, Fulham, and Millwall, who are by far the most farm teams in the league. But apparently, we're right up there with them. See, we ended on some optimism. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> this has been episode twenty-seven of the Owls Americast. You can find us on the internet at owlsamericas.com. Email the show at owlsamericas at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at Owls and Americas. Our podcast intro and bumpers are by fellow Wednesdayites and prolific Hillsboro goal scorers, Reverend and the Makers. The podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbeam, and probably anywhere else you choose to download podcasts. There's no wrong way to listen to the show. Just do what feels right. Wherever you choose to consume the Owls Americast, we ask that you rate and review the show as it helps more Wednesdayites find our ramblings. And speaking of ramblings, you can leave the show a voicemail on our dazed and mumbled line at 1-401-307-1867. International rates do apply. But you can dial it for free using Google Voice. James is on Twitter at Manhattan Owl. James, uh, how is uh, your closet treating you right now? It's getting a bit warm. It's uh, well, there's, there's no air that. conditioning in my uh, in my uh, not very walking closet, and it's uh, it's a good job I'm not claustrophobic. So I'm, I'm actually I've got a bit of sweat on. I'm I'm quite glad to have made it to the end of the podcast. The good news is that uh, the um, two all uh, kiwi IPA has gone down very well, and I've had no need to move next door to the uh, the bathroom. So all good to the water closet, as it were. <laughs> boom boom. Evan is on Twitter at Ohio Owl. Evan, can you manage to not get arrested when you're in Cincinnati? Oh, I'll be fine. I, my wife will be there. She'll keep me uh, keep me in check. Uh, I think it's Patty I have to worry about, really. So Oi. Evan, he does get very emotional at national concerts, from what I'm well uh, aware of. Yeah, I, I've heard the same. Luke is on Twitter at the Superb Owl. Luke, 
can you make some peace with the 30 or 40 squirrels that are going to be let out on the Hillsborough pitch for our last game of the season? As long as they're uh, red squirrels and not the North American gray squirrel. Um, it's actually funny. The college that I went to was known for having a, uh, uh, I don't even know what the, a coven of black squirrels, of Connecticut black squirrels. Those those I'm fine with. I have one in my front yard occasionally. Racist. You racist squirrel hater. No, it's just they're they're a different they're much more friendly. Gray squirrels you like are very aggressive. Red squirrels aggressive. over gray squirrels. That's just horrendous racism for squirrels. I'm gonna report you to the squirrel equality board. <laughs> <laughs> Patty is on Twitter at Patty A. Jones and at New York Owls. Patty, where are the meetups for this weekend? Uh, they are at New York and in New Orleans. The New York one is our family day, uh, and we have it at Niles on 52nd. It is at 10 a.m., so come on down to Niles. That'll be great fun. Under 21s are welcome. And the other one is in New Orleans, like I say, and it's at Finn McCool's, and that's 9 Central Time. Go and meet Jamie and the boys down there. Another highlight went right to your head, didn't it, Patty? Nah, I'm good. I've been very giggly this day, though. It's been a very giggly podcast. Mm. I'm on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro, and we'll see you back here next week.